Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance. And this is Commerce Code, a bi-weekly digital commerce podcast for leaders in card linking, loyalty and digital marketing, mobile wallets and payments, and financial data. Thanks for joining this running conversation with leaders in the industry. And if you like this podcast, come join us at a Digital Commerce Alliance event. You can learn more at www.digcomall.org. This week, Dan is talking with Aaron Warren, the general manager of Rakuten's card-linked offer network. Rakuten is a global technology, communications, and financial services company. The card-linked offer network Aaron leads allows advertisers to provide card-linked cashback offers to customers. Aaron has two decades of experience in marketing and is on the board of the Digital Commerce Alliance. Today's episode is the first in our 2023 series of deeper and longer conversations with leading executives in digital commerce. Going forward, Commerce Code episodes will drop every second week, and each episode will feature a deep dive into an important topic with an active leader in the field. In today's episode, Dan and Aaron are unpacking the 2022 DCA Industry Study, a wide-reaching survey-based analysis of the state of digital commerce. Topics of conversation include the past, present, and future of card-linked offers, the broader environment for marketing channels, who won and lost in 2022, and what does 2023 hold in store, and the changing environment for consumer financial data ownership. How are advertisers and other players in the digital commerce ecosystem responding to changes underway and the changes they expect in the near future? Stay tuned for that discussion. First, a note from one of our sponsors. Commerce Code is sponsored by Pentadata, the all-in-one financial data API. Whether it is bank account data, credit card transaction data, or credit reports and credit scores, Pentadata has it all in one simple and easy-to-use API. With coverage of over 6,000 banks, over 200 million credit files, and 60 million merchants, you can get all the data you need for your apps at pentadatainc.com. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. We're really looking forward to this conversation and just glad to have a bit of your time. I know you're busy. Why don't we start off just with context for some of our listeners? Basically, just tell us what does Rakuten do and then what's your role within the company? Rakuten is a broadly very diverse business that is headquartered in Japan. And in Japan, it operates many businesses. And then within North America, we really are focused on the Rakuten Rewards Program, which is a great way for consumers to earn cash back when they shop online and in-store. And then within that broader North America business structure, I'm the general manager of the Rakuten in-store network or card-linked offer network. And we primarily are responsible for building out the network that allows merchants to make offers available to a wide array of publishers using card-linked offer technology. And we can use that to power online, in-store, and dining offers. That description right there probably helps our listeners know why I, why I wanted to talk to you for this episode where we're going to kind of dive in and just unpack the industry study because I think 
both the specific things that you and your group do, but also the broader footprint of Rakuten globally, you know, and its involvement is about right, I think gives you a ton of experience and perspective on all this stuff. So for this conversation, I just wanted to pick kind of five or six of those key findings from the study here. And, and we can sort of start with the first finding in the study. And the study found that card-linked offer programs have a pretty consistent place in marketing practices with about half of survey respondents are using either card-linked offers or card-linked loyalty programs or both, and that that's been a pretty steady growth over recent years. And the study also found that, that companies report their growth in CLO and CL loyalty, card-linked loyalty usage, to be consistent as well. And so, you know, I, I'd just be interested to get your perspective. You obviously have like daily visibility into this stuff. And so that's kind of what the survey says, but I'd love to know, is that consistent with what you've seen and where do you kind of think things are going to go from here in those areas? That is what we've seen. And, and I think part of what we've seen in the growth for card linked offers and, and card linked loyalty over the past couple of years has been this need from financial institutions who are looking to drive card usage. And one great way to do that is to create these offers or offer a product that allows merchants to create offers that can tie to the usage of those credit cards. But I think one of the other really key benefits of card linked offers and, and Cardlink loyalty, and I think you could, in this case, use those terms interchangeably, really is the ability to target users for in-store purchases. And that really is, I think, a unique benefit of Cardlinked offers. And that's because the affiliate technology does not lend itself particularly well to an in-store environment like Cardlinked offers does. Cardlinked offers runs on using purchase data. So I do think that is a unique benefit to Cardlinked offers. And I think that's why you're continuing to see increased usage of that product. I think the other thing kind of driving the growth, at least the growth as of 2022, is that over the past couple of years, COVID really shut down that whole opportunity for in-store card-linked offers, which is where I think actually the growth is for this business on a go-forward basis. But given the challenges and the concerns that consumers had and merchants had about driving footfall into their stores during COVID, I think that part of the business and that opportunity with card-linked offers really shrunk over the past couple of years. And I think what we're seeing now is a real resurgence in this area as merchants are more eager to drive footfall to store locations. You know, overall, what, what you've said and also what the study has kind of found is a story of basically of growth of this kind of offer. But I don't want to ignore, you know, potential challenges because it's complicated. Like this is an ecosystem, as you say, and there's a lot of players. So to the extent that you do see companies that maybe back off from CLO programs, either they invest less in them or maybe they, they just stop doing them or whatever. Like what would be the typical context for that? And from what you can tell, like what else might they tend to invest in if they're not going to do this? The big challenge for merchants out there now looking to engage in advertising to drive new customers is it really comes down to looking to target the right customers at a reasonable cost. And so if that's the name of the game, merchants have a lot of choices for where to put their spend. And the name of that game today is all about how do you find the right customers at the right cost threshold? And so when you see merchants back away from card-linked offers, it is likely because 
because that they are have either found a more efficient channel for the type of customer that they are looking to drive. And so I think that that is probably the biggest piece. But we also see the reverse of that, right? We see advertisers coming to this channel as a great way of identifying and targeting the right customers, and they're able to do it at a reasonable cost. It really comes down to the appeal of your offer and the appeal of your offer when targeted at a particular type of customer. So I think when we occasionally see merchants move away from CLO or from a particular CLO provider, it's largely because they are optimizing their spend or perhaps they have had budget cuts. I mean, as you know, many merchants have really struggled over the past couple of years with COVID. And so, you know, when there's cost containment, that tends to be the reason. You know what, talking merchants and just continuing with that theme, we get some had some questions in the study about kind of which merchant categories are a good fit for card-linked offers. And, and to some extent, that was kind of an opinion question. And it's an area of real conversation because I think certain kinds of merchant categories seem to be more popular. This card-linked offers are more popular. So I'd just be interested to know, one thing you and I've talked about is there are some challenges of doing card-linked offers in, in a pure e-commerce setting. And so why is that hard? And then do you think it'll get easier? How do you think that can be kind of threaded there? So maybe we start there on CLO with e-commerce. I was somewhat surprised by the data because I see more strength in card-linked offers as an in-store solution. And I see affiliate marketing as a mature, dominant leader for e-commerce offers. And so when I look at this data, it may reflect sentiments of folks as we emerge from COVID, right? So when we were in COVID, we did see an increase in e-commerce merchants moving to card-linked offers. And we see that as a real growth area at Rakuten. But there are challenges. And part of it is you're competing with the affiliate marketing channel, which, as I said, is super mature, well-known. If you want to get access to a lot of offers, that's a great way to do it. The one challenge that affiliate marketing has that card-linked offers do not have is card-linked offers have access to particular audiences. So there are some banks... There are some mobile wallet providers that have made the choice to not move forward with affiliate because they want to tie the offers to their product usage. So some banks that have credit cards prefer the model where offers are tied to that product usage. So that tends to mean that for strategic reasons, some financial institutions choose to not move forward with the affiliate market and use card-linked offers instead. And we at Rakuten have seen that move and invested in solving some of the technical challenges around online card-linked offers. And part of what makes that difficult has to do with some of the nuances of how e-commerce businesses operate. And all of those kinds of nuances make it a little more complicated to do e-commerce offers through card-linked mm-hmm. offer structures. So another area we've had conversations on, on Commerce Code and just at, in general at DCA is there are certain kind of merchant categories. I've talked to folks about grocery as an example of this, where it's just harder to do card-linked offers and and not necessarily just about grocery, but I'd be interested from kind of your perspective about what will it take to kind of broaden the application or the appeal of CLO into more areas of kind of typical spending for a household? I think one of the biggest opportunities is really around traditional in-store grocery and gas. I think those are both interesting because both of those categories represent high frequency and high spend purchases. And I think it's going to take two things to see movement in those categories. I think it's going to take a focus on better targeting and some changes in how those categories choose to advertise. But I think the challenge in these categories is that they often have lower margins at the gas station or store level. And these merchants will be less likely to want to reward customers 
for purchases that they will already be making because that just eats into those margins. But they likely would be interested in using offers to lure customers from a local competitor. But that's going to take targeting. And that's going to take card-linked offer networks, generally speaking, being better about how they identify those customers and give the right offer. And I I think that's where targeted card-linked offers are going to be super important. So marketing channels, let's let's come back to that. So the study is asking respondents kind of what marketing channels their companies use just to get a sense of the whole lay of the land. And so I just wanted to, to, to read off a few uh, on the list here. And this is, again, kind of respondents saying, hey, what, what do we use? And so from top to bottom, it was sort of social media marketing was the, was the number one hit. And then search engine optimization, then card linked offers, affiliate marketing. Cardlink loyalty if, uh, and, and some other things below that, TV advertising, et cetera, that you would expect. Be curious to, to go up just to social media marketing and maybe kind of start there. I'd be curious, this is kind of a big question, but what do you think is the biggest sort of change that you've seen in social media marketing in the last few years? So what I have seen is that paid social media marketing has seen a significant cost increase. This has become a real challenge for marketers as they have to hit you know, particular cost thresholds. And, and again, it comes down to targeting to find the right customers at the right price. And I do think that social media, generally speaking, has done a great job of layering on the right kinds of targeting for merchants. But it comes down to whether you can find the right customer or sales volume you need at the cost that you can afford. I think the second Second piece that's super interesting about social media is that a costume side escalation, the biggest change is the rise of influencers. And we are starting to see an awful lot of, and, and Rakuten operates a business called Shop Style that is focused on influencers. Influencers are people who have built a business around using social media to promote content about their lifestyle, right? Within that content, there are just natural opportunities where an influencer can inject advertising that feels natural and ties seamlessly into their content. And I think the most popular categories that we see are in fashion, home decor, parenting, and we see tremendous growth in the rise of, of these influencers. You know, the, the other thing on there I mentioned, and we'll just touch on this one, is search engine optimization marketing. And, and just curious, same question, kind of like, where do you think things are changing there? Like, how is that thing evolving right now? One of the most interesting trends to me on the search engine side is the fact that consumers are now starting their search at Amazon. And I find that fascinating. And I watch my behavior. I grew up always going to Google and asking pretty much any question that I can possibly think of. And it's just interesting watching my kids do this. But they don't go to Google. They actually go to Amazon. And that's where they start. And I think that that's been a huge trend for a while. And that's really become just cemented as user behavior. When I want to find out about a product and I want to research a product because I'm thinking about a purchase, the first place I go is Amazon. And many brands are going and selling their direct. Some brands are deciding to actually not sell their direct on purpose as a deliberate strategy, but many are, right? And so you can do a tremendous amount of product research on Amazon. And so I think the kind of diversification of search engine optimization is fascinating to me. You know, a couple other things that we touched in the survey, and obviously there's a lot in the, in, in the study, and so we won't hit it all, but we cover, you know, some data ownership questions that I think are important. And that's just really, a, it's partially philosophical. It's partially a matter of principle and practice and data security and all that kind of stuff in our culture. And so I'll just say like the study found that about 70% of respondents said it's, quote, very important that consumers own their own financial data. More than 78% agreed that consumers' permission should be required before sharing it. 
So that that's a, a widespread opinion from a lot of executives in this space, but there's a whole lot of industrial kind of like, or machinery, right? Like the machinery of how that information moves around, the ecosystem, whatever you want to call it, set up to deal with that data. So even if everybody decided today that every person owned you know, his or her own data, I mean, heck, even if the CFPB decreed tomorrow that that was somehow true, putting it into practice would take years. So I'd be interested to get your angle on, you know, what do you think of the changes we'll see in the, say, coming few years that will kind of relate to that, like how that's going to play out? And, you know, where will the players in the industry actually notice changes in how things work? This is one of those things where I think businesses need to care more about data ownership and giving consumers choices and being careful and thoughtful with how they disclose how they are using consumer data. And But yet on the flip side, I think this is one of those things too, where I worry that consumers aren't going to take advantage of some of these opportunities. We know that we should be thoughtful and we know that we should read the terms and conditions before we click accept. But we also know that many consumers just aren't doing that. And so I do think in order to really do the right things for consumers with their data, it's going to require that executives in financial services institutions take this kind of thing really seriously and do the right things to protect consumer data. Because I worry if this is left up to a groundswell from consumers, and if it's going to require consumers thoughtfully reading pages and pages of terms and conditions, then it just won't happen. So I actually think that it's going to be a combination of businesses doing it because it's the right thing, and executives will lead these businesses doing this because it's the right thing, and frankly, governments putting some restrictions around what companies can do and making sure that companies don't have any incentives to cut corners and to be bad actors with consumer data. I completely agree. And it's got to be right. And I think too, that because nobody reads terms and conditions. I mean, we have to all be just honest about that. It's not that you can get away without having them or that they're irrelevant. They shouldn't exist, but it's just that you have to be realistic about human behavior. You know, so, so jump into a last question for you, Aaron. One of the questions here in the study is kind of, again, calls for a little speculation, calls for a little bit of imagining the future. What's the most promising technology for online to offline commerce? We asked that question and we got like a range, you know, a range of different answers. It's a pretty broad question. In general, when I say that, when you see the future of online to offline commerce, you know, what do you think about as really cool technologies or changes that we can await? I think it all comes down to making things simpler and consolidated for consumers and making it easy for online tools to add value and relevance in offline purchases. And so I think there's actually a couple of these things that could be those answers, right? So whether that's having offer programs that are embedded in mobile wallets or whether it's super apps or contactless payments, I think those are three that could all come together to provide integrated, less complicated solutions that take the best of what online can offer for us and makes them available tools in an in-store environment. And, you know, it's interesting, cashierless stores are one of those things that I see a lot. I'm seeing them, you know, being tested a lot with different ways in, in my local Whole Foods. And one of the things that I wonder about is as a society, we've all just come out of COVID. Do we really want to have a completely anonymous shopping experience? And is that really the best of what online can bring to in-store? I just feel like, no, that's not, that's not it. We all, you know, as humans crave some sort of interaction with people, even if it's like a smile with your cashier and some conversation, I think that's what we all learned to kind of crave during COVID. And so for me, I, I keep thinking back to 
where can online technology and technology that we use to facilitate and make online efficient, where can we bring that to an offline world where we enable convenience, but without losing some of that kind of human interaction that's so valuable in the offline world? Well, Erin, this has been just a a fun conversation, super interesting, and we absolutely appreciate your expertise, your insights so much. And so thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Commerce Code. Thanks for having me. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by Vantage Score. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use Vantage Score to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. Commerce Code is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you conversations with executives who are leading the way in digital commerce. If you like Commerce Code, your company should join the Digital Commerce Alliance and become part of our mission of advancing trade for good through standard setting, industry networking, conferences, and best practice sharing. Check out our website at www.digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great week.